So, good afternoon. Um, this is uh, Institutional Racism, part two. Um, those of you who listened to my first podcast a few days ago um, will know that there's going to be more uh, to this and there's going to be some interviews and stuff. Um, So I just want to pick up where I left off, but uh, first of all, I'd like to thank all of those people who listened to that original podcast and uh, your thoughts and comments have been very well received. So uh, thank you uh, for that. So moving straight into it, um, I sort of left off um, giving you an insight into my own um, experiences with uh, institutional uh, racism and uh, the effects that that phrase has on the uh, BME uh, community, you know, black and minority ethnic community in particular in the workplace. But um, just to, to broaden the scope a bit, it doesn't actually finish there. Um, for argument's sake, uh, the the individual I mentioned on my previous podcast, who um, is going to, if you will, dissect me in, in the shape and form of, of an interview at a later date, which I hope will be sometime next week and will be part of this series of podcasts, uh, had exactly the same issue as myself and many countless other people however her situation um, was not in the workplace her situation was with the local borough council um, and all of the other parts that go with that her housing provider um, and indeed uh, the local police force in the area and county that she lives in um, she just to give you a, a brief overview of that situation to show you the correlation of what I'm trying to impress upon everybody is that she uh, moved into a new property and uh, everything was going very well for about four weeks and she came into contact with uh, a neighbour uh, who lived uh, directly above where where she lives or lived at that time. And um, yeah, she's a female, um, very attractive uh, uh, black woman, if I may say so myself. Um, and the uh, chap... Uh, was a, a, a white man which you know isn't really the issue he, he's just a man but you know to give you some insight into what actually took place he, he's a white man so he made his uh, self known hello my name is Bob you know I'm your neighbour anything I can uh, do to help you assist you know moving in and helping out and all the rest of it as any decent neighbour uh, would 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 do. That's all fine. So you progress a few more weeks in, but it was clear uh, to the 
woman in question that the man uh, uh, in the shape of the neighbour um, had a more sinister approach and that sinister approach was in my opinion of, of a sexual nature so he started to make advances and when I say advances not your, your average advance but you know um, those probing questions uh, like are, are you going to live here by yourself do you have a boyfriend and so you know those types of that line of questioning so you can see what his uh, intentions were anyway uh, the lady uh, said to him uh, yes I, I have a partner lives elsewhere um, you'll probably meet him at some point he's working all different various hours and is not really around at the moment and that seemed to if I can use this phrase put a spanner in his works now cutting a long story very very short indeed this individual went on to terrorize this woman in the shape of um, loud music morning noon and night um, banging on the ceiling switching off the electrical supply that ran to her flat plunging her into darkness and so on and so forth um, verbally abusing her calling her crazy um, all sorts of things that then uh, when a, a, another resident came to her defence um, he then turned round um, and, and physically assaulted um, the uh, neighbour and um, you know this, this lady's partner had to actually physically step in and restrain him um, and this was in the first sort of uh, five, six weeks of her being at, at this residence and um, such as the, the, the level of um, uh, abuse if I, if I can use that word that she started to receive naturally uh, she started to contact the housing provider in the shape of an estate agent um, who I must say um, spoke to her in the most appalling fashion um, she then uh, went along to the local council uh, to put her fears and concerns to them again equally uh, she she was was turned away and not even given you know the benefit of of the doubt in any shape or form it's got to be your fault why this is happening sorry we can't help you um she then had to take uh uh the, the situation to the police now this is where uh things became uh interesting the police arrived on uh, numerous occasions. I think from memory about 17 times she had to call the police to assist her with this man shouting from upstairs, banging, playing music, threatening he's going to kill her, all sorts of things. This man even rang the police uh, to say that he's just heard her say um, she's going to set herself on fire okay and um, so police turned up naturally to, to, to do their welfare checks to, to, to find out that uh, that wasn't the case but 
if you haven't worked out already, there's, there, there's a pattern here. And the pattern is that you call the police, the police turn up, you tell the police what's going on, and all the police tend to do is say, oh, yeah, all right, love, uh, we're, 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 we're going to have a word. We're going to have a word. And they go and have a word, and um, that's it. Nothing. Now, I came into contact with this uh, lady because of the situation that um, I'm explaining to you now. And I started to assist her um, building a case and recording all the evidence and so on and so forth. And... uh, one day in particular, I went to see her. So one evening, I went to see her just to top and tail uh, some of, of the points of, of, of the case. And the individual um, began to uh, abuse her, um, you know, vocally, um, saying all sorts of unsavory things. Um, I naturally, as any decent man would do, um, stepped in uh, to say, you know, behave yourself, that that's not required. Um, you, you should know by now that uh, we're not going to be afraid uh, to, to call the police uh, for you. And um, I was met with uh, more profanities and threats uh, to to my own life, I, I, basically I was I was called out, um, and I will be uh, honest with you um, that didn't sit good with me. Um, so I was of that mindset. Okay, you're going to call me out. I'm going to come out. But as luck would have it, um, when I made that decision that I was going to to uh, step out and meet the challenge that had just uh, been placed upon me. Um, I was then informed by a, the lady in question who was in another room uh, on the phone to the police at the time that the police were already outside. Uh, and so went and had a look at the window and sure enough, there was about three police officers from memory at the door so I went to the door and I opened the door and I said uh, bearing in mind it's evening you know good evening officers what can we do for you and I was met with this response hello mate Um, we've just had a call to say that there is 25 Jamaicans outside and that's why we have been called to this address and um, so we're not going to come in just yet for our safety we're just waiting for backup and I by this time the lady in question was standing by my side you know in, in the mouth of the door and we looked at each other and sort of bemused sorry repeat that 25 Jamaicans causing a disturbance. What? Where? 
where are they? Um, don't worry about that. We're, we're, we're waiting on, on, on backup. And within two or three minutes, there was armed response officers outside. There was uh, police wagons. There were panda cars. And in total, if my memory serves me right, I counted about 16 officers outside, all on their radios, all pulling up. So much so that it drew the attention of the neighbours who were not outside at the time the first three police officers knocked the door. So if you use your common sense and, and cast your mind back to what I've just said momentarily, the officers came to the door and said there has been a disturbance outside um, and there's approximately 25 Jamaicans. So give or take three or four minutes by the time all of the officers turned up and realized, oh, there's no one here sort of thing. Um, Can we ask what actually is going on? So I sort of took the mantle to explain to the officers what has been going on by now this is two or three months that this type of behavior was going on and i explained to them uh in 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 the best possible terms the best spoken english that you could possibly think about that the problems all emulate from upstairs now the police then started to focus their attention on me Because if you've listened to my previous podcast, you will know that I am a former police officer. So who better than myself to know what the laws are? And you now, as a serving police officer, are talking to a former police officer. But even the fact I'm telling him I'm a former police officer seemed not to mean anything to him. He was more concerned about the 25 Jamaicans and I was trying to explain to him along with the lady in question that at that precise junction it was just myself, herself, her son uh, happened to be uh, passing, he was in the property along with his best friend. So I said to the officer you can see that the the five of us are here, Uh, three of us, uh, 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 sorry it was four, four people in total. Uh, you know, myself and the lady, uh, her son, all black, and his best friend just happened to be white. I said, so there is four people here. Where are the other 21 individuals? And what I want to point out here also is that this is how we find ourselves in what you call institutional racism. Because... The officers came to the door and stated, stated, we've had a call, there is 25 Jamaicans outside. So when you look at that and analyse that, what that does is that makes it appear and seem that when you see a black man or a black woman walking down the street, irrespective of their own culture or their uh, their roots, where they are from. They're Jamaican. 
Okay, they're Jamaican. So I promptly said to the officer, well, can I just clarify something, officer? I myself am of Barbadian parentage. The lady in question is of Antiguan heritage, which naturally her son adopts some of that Antiguan heritage, uh, although uh, he is born here as a UK citizen resident, and his friend was white Caucasian. So there are no Jamaicans here, officer. And he didn't like that response and started to get uppity, if I can use that phrase, with myself. And I am maintaining my composure and my posture because as a black man, I must stress that is crucially, crucially important. And although I maintained that posture, he became more uppity and irate with me because I was challenging his authority. And cut a long story short, again, it got to the stage where uh, I started to uh, become disheveled and started to, uh, you know, to put it politely, put my foot down and say, this has been going on too long. You know, two or three months, this man has been causing this young lady problems and you as police officers uh, are failing. And at that junction, we had done so much work already that we had the IPCC uh, involved, which is the Independent Police uh, Com uh, Complaints Commission, where if you have uh, issues uh, with the, the, the police, um, they are the outside body that will step in and investigate it allegedly from a neutral uh, point of view. Um, so the officers were aware of that and I did that deliberately to give ourselves some coverage. And that's, again, the sort of thing that uh, a black and minority ethnic person has to do. You have to go above and beyond to maintain your innocence and protect yourself even when you've done nothing wrong. So you spend 99, if not 100% of your time defending yourself from such behaviour, um, protecting your, 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 your right to be here. We're supposed to be in a democracy, okay? But yet when the police come, there is that awe of suspicion. So... My argument with the, the, the police officer on that particular junction is you have now arrived and realised, as I've pointed out, three black individuals in the house along with a white individual, so you're 21 persons short, no other uh, reports of any disturbance with any large gathering of black people uh, in particular Jamaicans and by this time there were neighbours outside and I was shouting across the road to say to them did you see any large gathering of black people out here no 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 we didn't see anything and again institutional racism 
Once those people realised that I was trying to embroil them, because you see, I've had a long time in this field and I worked out what needed to be done. I'm going to embroil white people, okay? To unwittingly come to my defense. Excuse me, madam, did you see anything? Oh, no, no, I didn't see anything. They're standing out there and they're watching and they're hearing, but they ain't saying nothing. Oh, no, 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 I didn't see anything. And quickly, they go back inside. Quickly, 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 quickly. All of a sudden, you're now back to how it started. You standing on the doorstep and police officers there. And I was trying to say to the officer, now is the time, officer, to go upstairs and make an arrest. And his response to me was, what am I going to arrest him for? And I answered him quite firmly and quite promptly, you are going to arrest him for wasting police time, which you are perfectly lawfully in your right to do. Because why? He has willingly rang up the police and given the police false information. There was no 25 persons outside. There was no 25 Jamaicans outside. He merely did that to create a scene on the doorstep, hoping that the police would come in heavy-handed and arrest myself, her son, uh, or whoever happened to be in that property or in the vicinity of that uh, property who had black skin. And because I challenged his authority with what was clear and obvious, he started to get uppity with me. He would arrest me if I didn't keep quiet. And I must say, uh, I, I got to the point where uh, my temper um, was being um, challenged so much so that the lady in question and her, her son, um, who, who, who is a grown man, uh, 30 years old, um, sort of said, look, uh, you know, you, you best calm yourself down because these guys ain't hearing what, what you've had to say. Um, and, and after some wranglings that they, they decided, look, we're, we're, we're just going to go. So that was another notch, um, that I had to then add to the case that we ultimately, um, began or had, you know, was compiling against the situation. So th those are the types of situations that a black and minority ethnic person um, can find. And as I said, you know, most of my troubles have been in the workplace, but I'm trying to illustrate that away from the workplace, these things happen in daily life without people even uh, realising. And this is on... This is, on your doorstep of, of your, your, your home where, where you live, where you're supposed to feel safe. Um, and if you do have a problem, you call the police. The police are supposed to come and be uh, non-biased, impartial. They're supposed to hear you know, both sides of the argument and then make a decision. But what was happening is they were being fed false information. They were then turning up on that false information. And when they were disproved, on the doorstep, instead of going and correcting the mistake by arresting the individual and making a stand that would have made 
our lives a lot better and and felt a lot better and uh, uh, help restore the non-existent uh, confidence in the police service, no matter what police force it is. Uh, it, they weren't they weren't doing that. They were quite happy to walk away. Well, I'm not going to be told by him who's he think he is, uh, ex police officer. So what? Uh, which that was basically the the uh, you know the line that they took. Anyway, this went on for some more months, and we had cases open against the council, the police, the home provider in the st- shape of the estate agent, and uh, cutting to the chase. Um, it, it took so much um, effort on on this young lady's um, uh, behalf insofar as her her health um, it was severely damaged um, she was at rock bottom I mean there was times where she couldn't even get out of bed uh, just because she was so exhausted ringing people being turned away I myself went to the council with her uh, for a number of meetings about the situation um, and without uh, laughing the, the, the council just or overtly laughing in your face it to me behind the scenes it just seemed like that's what they were doing uh, a, a black woman coming into the council to say uh, look I, I'm in fear of my life um, you know, from, from this individual, I, I can't even go to sleep at night. Um, he's threatened to burn the house down. And a point that I forgot to mention, which then became significant in the whole uh, investigation, was that the individual was very well known to the police. Um, things like arson, uh, possibility. Uh, we still never got to the bottom of it, but I will say quite confidently that the way that this individual was protected by the police um, led me to believe that he was under some sort of witness protection and I managed to make contact with somebody that uh, was an associate of his and it you know the conversation led me to believe that he was probably guilty of some sort of sexual offences um, against women, uh, indeed against children and so on and so forth, which is why he was on the radar. And again, you know, when the police um, come to the to the property on the occasions I was present when the police attended, um, they sort of unwittingly sort of said, yeah, 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 we, we, we know him and, you know, but come on, mate, you know how it goes, your ex-job, as we say, your ex-job, you know I can't divulge that, but oh, yeah, yeah, we, he's, he's well known and, uh, and again, another point I must make, when the police arrived, you know, if you call the police and say, look, my neighbour's playing the music too loud, you get a male officer and a female officer turn up, didn't you? Well, every time the police were called, 10, 15 officers turned up. So that should show you that the individual in question was a very highly dangerous, or is a very highly dangerous individual. And um, our uh, concerns were, you know, we just had cold water 
uh, poured all over our uh, concerns. Now, we got to um, a point where um, the, the estate agent, again, favoured what the police were telling them and he also favoured the resident over, uh, let's call her my client now because I'm now acting on her behalf. And as a result of that, um, he concocted um, an eviction notice which wasn't legal. And then he, when that was pointed out, he hastily, uh, in essence, done it the correct way by by um, you know sending out the correct paperwork, which meant that my client had to. Um, leave her home, uh, thus making her homeless um, and having to sofa surf at her son's place and friends and family place for a couple of days. And then we managed to get her into uh, a, a hostel by approaching another borough council miles and miles away, which then ultimately then put her almost a hundred miles away from her uh, friends, family and support network and including uh, myself. Um, and all of this took uh, a, a disgraceful toll on, on her uh, health and, and well-being. But, you know, she is a strong individual and I must congratulate her on, on the way that she conducted herself throughout um, that ordeal um, nobody should have to go through that now again um, she was given the, the keys to this uh, property which um, I will tell you was nothing short of a bail hostel what do I mean by a bail hostel uh, when you are released from prison if you don't have family and friends you can stay at they will send you to uh, an old-fashioned hotel where it's all recorded and you've got rules you can you can't leave before nine o'clock and you can't come back before ten o'clock at night and you can't have people stay over and your probation officer can come and see you and all sorts of stuff it's a it's a, a way of monitoring your progress in particular if you you are on a electronic uh, electronic tagging device or anything like that or or under curfew which is obviously what the tagging device is is, is a curfew measure um she was no criminal but she had to live under the same rules as those persons living either side of her upstairs and downstairs in in a a a room that was no bigger than a cell yes it had a toilet and a shower but the toilet and the shower were leaking water all over the floor. There was no proper cooking facilities. Uh, uh, broken windows lashed together with sellotape. Um, just, just the most inhumane conditions that that somebody who is not a criminal, who didn't do anything criminal, who was never punished or sent to court for any criminal offence, should have to to live in. Meanwhile. The perpetrator still uh, living in his property, enjoying life 
like anybody else. So this went on for months and months and months and months. And um, again, you can see the institutional racism. Uh, these authorities did everything they could to try to blame my client. You know, um, we heard that you've got drugs in the property because that was another uh, thing that was reported. You've got drugs on your file, so we can't house you. Well, where where did this drugs come from? We'd never been, or she'd never been challenged by the police or, or spoken to about the police. You'd never been arrested for drugs. So how have you got drugs on your file? Well, something that uh, I specialise in when I'm I'm advocating for people as I uh, had done in this situation is in order to find out what is really going on because when you ring the council or whatever organisation you're, you're, you're dealing with you are speaking to what they call front of house so you go in to an, an office hello I'm here to speak to housing officer somebody will come downstairs and you sit behind a glass screen and you speak to that person that's front of house they have to then go upstairs and give it to a supervisor or a manager or a case worker or so on and so forth all of which jobs I've held in the past um, and um, you apply for what they call a subject access request which is a detailed log of everything that is said and written about you on your personal file. And I must say, when we applied for a subject access for this individual, um, the level of hatred and institutional racism was clear to see written on her file unbeknowing to herself and to me um, she was labelled vectacious she was uh, there was a quote if this woman rings up and kicks off again I'm going to close her case now hang on a second this woman was ringing up if I can say it like this and kicking off because she was in fear of her life she was being racially abused. She was being told, I'll come downstairs and set you on fire. And you want her to ring you up and ask for help and be calm and placid. She did that. When she did that, she was laughed at. Okay? So those are all the strands of institutional racism. So now that we know that you just see her as the crazy black woman. That's how you see her. You never came out and investigated. I myself did all of the investigation and put the evidence on the desk of the council, on the desk of the estate agent in question, and indeed my former colleagues in the shape of the police. And do you know that after a couple of weeks, we didn't hear anything. We contacted the police again. Oh, uh, we don't appear to have those documents. Well, 
how could you not have those documents when I walked into a police station headquarters and I made sure I was clearly visible on CCTV. I deliberately took my time and handed over a package all sealed, uh, addressed to a, a detective chief superintendent. Um, and I got a receipt for the article that I handed in in the shape of files, statements, CCTV, audio recordings, and so on and so forth. Only to be told, sorry, mate, we don't have it. So there is us on the outside, hoping now that we've dotted all the T's, uh, dotted all the I's, I beg your pardon, and, and, and crossed all the T's, sitting there for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, not hearing anything and, you know, doing your due diligence, ring up, hi, I sent in a package, can you tell me what stage you're at with the investigation? We never got it. So that caused another issue. So the uh, IPCC case that I mentioned to you, which is all part of the same deal, we then had to open another one. The first case was about how the police neglected my client when they came to the property. And then I had to then open another case about how officers in the police station lost, lost our evidence. And on top of losing the evidence, try to deny that they received it. And yet you could show me walking into a police station, handing over evidence and getting a receipt for it. So that's the sort of, uh, level of discrimination that person of colour like my client and myself and many other people face on on a a daily basis. Um, jumping forward um, with, with this particular case, um, we, we, we managed to defeat the estate agent and uh, my client was awarded um, some compensation. Um, and he was given um, a very small, I may say so, very small smack on the wrist from um, the governing body for estate agents, which is called the PRS, um, which is the Property Redress Scheme. They are ombudsmen who look at uh, bad practice for estate agents, so uh, remember that. Um, and equally, we had the local government in the shape of the uh, council ombudsman who also then equally found the council uh, guilty and she was then also awarded um, some compensation. Not much, but again, uh, by, by getting compensation in my book, you have won your case. That then shows that uh, what was being said all along was correct and that uh, the estate agent and the council uh, were, were guilty of the things that we uh, were, were saying to them. Um, moving on from there, we also um, managed to get the council's environmental health officer to uh, pretty much condemn the property that the lady was living in where all of this troubles uh, emulated from. 
and cut a long story short, basically it seems like uh, the estate agent took the property from its owner and sort of made it into an HMO, which is a house of multiple occupancy, but did not have all of the correct regulations. Um, Fire regulations weren't correct, doors weren't correct. Um, The heating system was old and and derelict and just, just so many things that were wrong with this property. So basically, um, environmental health stepped in and forced the, not the actual estate agent, but the owners of the property to carry out work to get it up to um, the correct standards of, of the day. Um, I'm, I'm going back uh, 2016 into 17, um, and it took um, almost two years to get to this point um, up until 2018 um, where you know the, the young lady was then given suitable um, accommodation but not without a fight and that's where she currently resolves uh, resides to this day but again you know environmental health uh, also condemned this, this property so for me that's and for my client that's three out of four successful outcomes um what was disappointing for me in particular was that when it came to the police um the ipcc uh, on both occasions upheld our complaint and uh, we were happy that that was going forward. So as far as we were concerned, um, it, was, it was going to be yet another win. Um, and, and I just want to point out here, this wasn't about, oh, I know, let's concoct something and let's get a payout and let's, let's make lots of money and run off. That's not what this was about. This was about a woman who was trying to live her normal life in her house and she was being brutalized and victimized um, by a white man as a black woman. And when, as I've said earlier, police turned up, she was automatically deemed the suspect. And something I forgot to mention, in the very early stages of the investigation, the police came and said, well, you know, this, this is uh, a local matter between you and her. It's, a, it's not really a police matter. But what we do to keep the peace is we'll give you um, uh, a harassment pin, which is an agreement between the two of you signed by the police to say that you won't talk to me and I won't talk to you. Now, that piece of paper became critical because that piece of paper was then stored on her file and it was then used used against her to say there you go my love we can't help you because the police say you are the source of the problem not the individual upstairs never mind the 17 uh, calls to the police which we had the presence of mind to record so there can be no ambiguity about what was said do you know that police tried to lie Yes, they tried to lie. And then we played them back the telephone calls to the IPCC. Remember I told you that uh, documents were lost? Well, those documents that were lost were MG11s 
for those of you who don't know, MG11s are the sheets of paper that uh, police officers write witness statements on. And we had about 12 various different phone calls, various different people, calls to the police and so on and so forth, that you, uh, uh, I, I acted as if I was still a police officer by submitting those uh, CDs and marking them as exhibits. And when you mark them as exhibits, i.e. evidence, you must accompany them by written statement, which is what I did. The police lost them. So as I say, um, we took them to task. But in the great scheme of things, when it all came back, um, for some reason, the police then sort of said, no, we, we, we don't really uh, find that, that anything, that, that the police did anything wrong. Um, and it, it was, for me in particular, very, very um, upsetting to know that uh, the police just just brushed it under the carpet because again they were in cahoots with the estate agent and the the local council and they were also aware that we had won some compensation um, so in their minds well you, you've got a few quid in your back pocket what's your problem um, my client um, by this junction was just relieved to be out of this nightmare and beginning to settle into her new accommodation, which I add is uh, closer to home, um, but not in the town that she grew up in, but only a 15 minute drive away. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, it was blatantly clear that she was being seen as a troublemaker and not welcome in the borough and they did their effort best to force her out so um but as i say she she began to rebuild her life um and uh as we speak now in 2020 she's doing exceptionally well um regaining her thought process and her self-esteem um and and building herself back up to 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 be um, the articulate individual that that, that she is. Um, I myself was prepared to to continue um, to to fight the police side of things, um, but at her request, she was like, you know what, I I want this to come to an end. Um, I I'm happy where I'm at, and I know what I know. So, and you also know what you know. So. Um, let's let's just leave it there because it's going to be one of these cases as i said in my previous podcast you know when there's any type of investigation where the police are are uh, under scrutiny they will do everything to railroad you off of the scent to uh you know just hope that you roll over and die and in this situation and i can completely understand uh her thought process this woman took so many lashes over a two-year period just to get what she should have got from the beginning. And we know this at the end of the day because when it was all written up, it, the ombudsman then said, you know, this should have never have happened. And we got a number of half-baked apologies from various different people. Um, 
councillors lied. Uh, something I forgot to mention, uh, we even went to see the, the local MP, such as the level of, of where we were going. Um, and they too sort of uh, run us out of the office, didn't have time to speak to us. So can't help you, you need a lawyer, you need a lawyer. But where are we gonna get a lawyer from? You know, not everybody uh, has deep pockets and, and plays tennis and golf with their lawyer where you could, you know, like in the films, call my lawyer, you know, that, 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 we, 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 don't, we don't have that, you know, we, we just don't have that. We have to rely on ourselves. So, you know, as I say, um, I, I'm quite proud of, of the work that I, I did and also how the uh, young lady conducted herself, but that's just an insight into one scenario. Um, again, the overriding um, principle here is institutional racism. Had she been a white lady or white man, would she have been treated like that? Would she have been disbelieved? Would she have been ridiculed? Would she have been accused of drugs? and improper behaviour? Would she have had words like troublemaker and victatious written on her file and not know about it? So you're running into these places like a headless chicken. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And they're looking at your file and you're not privy to it. And one thing I want to make uh, abundantly clear about uh, this uh, subject access. When we obtained her file, and we had to do this, because remember this went on for two years. So if you apply for your file at the beginning of the case, by the time you get halfway through, you've got a year's worth of paperwork that the council now hold. Now, when they start saying, we didn't get it, we didn't see it, we didn't hear it, you then have to apply again to see what they do have and what they don't have. And I will say, even to get your information, they mess you about. They send you back a letter, oh, we got your request. Um, did you actually want this or did you want that? Read our letter. This is what we want. Oh, okay, we've now got that and there's a 30-day window between each communication. So you could see that if you start on January the 1st to get your paperwork, you probably won't get it until near May because they keep longing you off. Oh, do you want it in paper copy or audio copy? We would like it in paper copy so we could see straight away. Okay, that would be another 30 days to wait. And when you do receive your documents, as well as seeing the unsavory things that they have written about you, some, in, in her case, quite a lot of information was redacted. And what I mean by redacted is marked out or blacked out with a black pen. So given that the state that where we were, we could sort of work out who said what and who didn't based on who is involved in the conversation. But the reason they redacted certain information is because that information is what was going to expose them. They did not think that 
uh, a black woman as such and indeed a black man like myself would take them to task in the manner that we did um, I call it an exercise in tying their shoelaces together um, to trip them up as much as they were trying to trip us up and um, as I say you're looking through the paperwork that remember it's your data but they redacted things that they said about you and I must say even to this day uh, there are things that we still don't know although we have the piece of paper but we know that one particular piece of paper was the crutch of the argument and it was something that was said uh, if I, my mind serves me correctly via uh, the, the lady's doctor to the council and then from the council back uh, to the, the doctor which then involved the police and as a result of that three-way conversation something was said in there that hindered this young lady from, from going forward and making her life a misery um, so yes institutional racism it is there nobody has to like in the old days you know in the 60s and 70s nobody has to call you the n-word nobody has to call you the c-word nobody has to say anything to you anymore but the actions the actions and in some cases the inactions of what people do help to fuel the fire underneath the, the phrase institutional racism and um, even as I speak to you now here in 2020 um, I f uh, follow events in particular in, in America uh, what's going on with unarmed black individuals being shot and killed um, and I must say I, I, I'm losing count on a daily basis you know four, five, six, seven different incidents um, a day um, granted you are just watching videos on Facebook but they're real time you're seeing people running with their hands in the air and police shooting them down on the flip side you are watching uh, white people abuse the police getting out of their vehicles with billy clubs in their hand and you know if you understand American law they have something called open carry states which means you can openly carry a firearm okay open carry it means you can walk with the firearm in your hand or you can walk with it visible on your hip in your holster and these white individuals are you know they're being stopped for a traffic stop for argument's sake and they're not happy about it and they're getting out and they're abusing law enforcement officers and pointing their guns at, at or reaching for their guns you know with law enforcement officers and law enforcement officers are sort of calm down, calm down, sir, calm down, calm down. Um, you know, don't reach for that gun. Now, we all know when we see these incidents of young black men and women, in particular in America, being shot down, um, you know, the, the, the first thing that, that the officer, I was in fear of my life. I told him to get out of the car, he looked like he was reaching. Bam, 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 he shot dead. Sometimes, in, even in the back, suspect walking away, shot in the back. And um, yes, it, it is happening all day, every day. And um, so it shows that, you know, this inherent institutional racism is 
everywhere. It's just not here in the UK. Um, it's it's everywhere. Uh, I I watched um, a, a video just yesterday um, circulating around on Facebook of a FedEx uh, a black male FedEx worker in America. He stopped to deliver a package and he stopped outside the correct house but walked across the grass of the neighbor's uh, house to get to the house to, to deliver his parcel and the neighbor came out filming him, racially abusing him and threatened to beat him up and the black man challenged him and said, look, well, I'm happy to wait for the police or whatever. Um, in the end, the man was just toying with him and he decided, look, mate, I'm at work, I've got to continue working and he got in his van and drove off. That video has now gone viral. You can find it on uh, Facebook if you look for FedEx uh, driver sacked. And uh, late last night, I'm now seeing reports that the uh, driver of, of that vehicle has now been, been sacked. So those are the types of things that I'm talking about. You'll remember summertime last year, um, black people were in their gardens in America um, doing uh, what they call as cookout where the whole estate comes together and sits around and has a barbecue police were called um, if you walk into a Walmart security guards following you and asking you to produce ID but yet white people are coming in with their crash helmets on and their faces covered and no questions asked institutional racism plain and simple nothing nothing uh more uh you, you you can say than that so um looking at the time here um i'm fast approaching the hour um and i think my previous podcast may have cut off uh in mid flow so i'm actually aware of that now and i'm new to this so i'm going to call uh this podcast or uh, draw this podcast rather to a close and I hope you enjoy uh, listening to some of the topics and things that I've said and um, keep your ears to the ground for the actual um, interview between uh, myself and my former client and um, yeah stay safe be safe and keep your eyes and and ears open look after yourselves and your loved ones and your families Um, so till next time, thank you very much uh, for listening and um, keep, as I say, keep, keep an ear out for my next uh, broadcast. Okay, thank you.